Well, good morning. Good morning. You can be seated. I wasn't going to go crazy with having anybody. Well, good morning. My name is Sean. I'm the associate pastor here at 116 Bible Church in and boy, howdy, am I happy to see you here with us today. Um, it is wonderful to gather together as the saints of God under the banner of Christ to worship and serve our true and living King. Um, if you would be so kind as to turn in your Bibles this morning, I am not going rogue today, Jeff. I am going to continue the series in 1 Samuel. I'm not going to do what I did last time and go all crazy and somewhere else. But I'm going to continue the series, and the series just fits like an old glove. It feels so good to be back in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, we're going to be in chapter 4. Sorry, I'm going to this just a little bit. I apologize. See what I did there? I turned it off before I moved it so you didn't have to hear it. You're welcome. All right. So we're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 4. We're going to be beginning in verse 12. And we're going to read through verse 18. So that is 1 Samuel chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. And if you have found it and are able, I ask that you would briefly please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. And I will let you sit back down when we're done. 1 Samuel chapter 4. Beginning in verse 12. And the word of God says, Then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head. Now when he came, there was Eli, sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. When Eli heard the noise out, heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? And the man came quickly and told Eli. Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. Then the man said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle. And I fled today from the battle line. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines. And there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead. And the ark of God has been captured. Then it happened when he made mention of the Ark of God that Eli fell off the seat backward by the side of the gate, and his neck was broken, and he died. For the man was old and heavy, and he had judged Israel forty years. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we have just been blessed by your spirit and your grace to read your very words. Preserved through time for your people, transported through geography, 
for your people and translated into a language we understand for your people. Lord, may we take these words for what they are and not for granted. May we cherish them. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us as we dive into this word today. As we seek the meaning that you have for your people. So that we may be holy as you are holy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so before we tackle this passage head on, let's do what I like to do when we start off and do a little review just to see where we've been so we know where we are and hopefully get a glimpse up to where we may be going. So, so far in verse Samuel, we have met a number of people. We've met, uh, we've met Hannah and her husband um, who longed for a child, um, though they had not had one. And then Hannah goes and presents before the Lord in the temple and she cries out to him and he blesses her with a child. Um, and then in fulfillment of her vow, she turns the child over to service before the Lord um, at a very young age, somewhere between two and four, we think. Um, so she turns over the child to Eli, the high priest and judge at this time. Um, and Eli takes him in, um, and the boy Samuel serves before the presence of Eli for a time. And during this time, we also meet Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phineas, who um, are not great guys. Um, they are pretty much the opposite of great guys. Um, in fact, they are serving as priests uh, before the Lord, but um, they are using their position rather than as a uh, as an opportunity for service or using it as an opportunity to gain for their own selfishness. So they are taking portions of sacrifices that do not belong to them, that do not go to the priests. They're taking portions assigned to the people and portions even assigned to God himself to fill their own bellies. Um, and so we were introduced to these two. Eli, their father, who is high priest and judges, uh, seems to be ignorant or apathetic towards uh, what it is they're doing until um, until essentially a word comes from the Lord through two people, um, a prophet and then Samuel himself, saying, Eli, this is what's going to happen because uh, you have honored your sons above the Lord and his ways. The house of Eli will be cut off from service for the Lord. Um, and one, of the, and one of the signs of that was actually the death of Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, on the same day. Um, and then we see, we go through, um, we go through that. Uh, last week we talked, um, Jeff talked about the battle that ensued, uh, how the Israelites were facing off against the Philistines um, and things were not going great, so they ran to get the Ark of God because they thought that was going to save them. Um, and all that happened was the Israelites were still defeated, and then the Ark of God was captured. They were treating it, as Jeff 
um, told us last week as a as a talisman or a ritual rather than rather than what it truly was the symbol of the presence of God among the people but they were trying to essentially through ritual manipulate God into doing what they wanted rather than submitting before the Lord repenting of their sins and their apathy and turning towards the Lord and that brings us to our passage today so let's do what we do and go through it verse by verse verse 12 then a man of Benjamin ran from the battle line the same day and came to Shiloh with his clothes torn and dirt on his head so we see here quickly a, um, a, a man from the tribe of Benjamin your translation may, sh- may say a Benjaminite or a Benjamite um, a man from the tribe of Benjamin one of the twelve tribes of Israel he runs from the battle line where the Israelites are facing off against the Philistines and he runs to Shiloh we estimate that's probably about 20 miles um, somewhere around there around about 20 miles the man runs it in a day because he has something to say. So he runs from the battle line, runs to Shiloh, and Shiloh is uh, really the kind of the center of, of society, culture, religion for the Israelites at this time. This is where they actually had the Ark of the Covenant before they brought it to the battle line or yeah, the battlefield. Um, and this man runs from runs from the battle line, runs back to Shiloh where they had brought the ark from, and the text tells us his clothes were torn and there was dirt on his head. Now, this could mean a couple of things. One, the man was in a pretty intense battle um, that we read about in the previous passage, which is probably true. Um, But before he could be be killed in the battle, he is sent um, on his way. Another reason his clothes are torn and dirt is on his head is probably uh, because this is a universal sign of grief and mourning in the face of intense loss. So, on his way, running from the battlefield to Shiloh to deliver this horrible news, he is rending his clothes. He is putting dust on his head because he is overwhelmed with the grief of what he has witnessed. Because of what he has seen. And this man from Benjamin, um, we're probably also getting a little foreshadowing here because after this, during the life and ministry of Samuel, we see Israel transition from a rule by judgeship, so no more judges, we see a transition to a rule by kings. Um, And the first king is Saul, and he is of the tribe of Benjamin. So we're probably seeing a little foreshadowing here about where where the direction of Israel is headed. So... This Benjaminite, this uh, this kinsman of the of the soon to be king Saul, runs from the battle line, goes to Shiloh, with obvious signs of mourning and grief. So even from afar, anybody watching can say, "Oh no, this is not good news." Verse thirteen. Now when he came 
the man from Benjamin, there was Eli sitting on a seat by the wayside, watching, for his heart trembled for the ark of God. So sitting there in the city gate, waiting for any word of what's going on on the battlefield, because they know the Israelites are out, are out to war against the Philistines. They are sitting there waiting for some word, for some kind of news, to see how it's going. And here comes this man approaching this, the city of Shiloh. And as he's approaching, Eli's sitting in the city gate. Now the city gate was where a lot of business happened. The city gate was where um, the elders of the town would gather together and they would essentially discuss the business of the town. Um, they would discuss um, political, legal matters um, because this was a, um, a heavily religious society. Obviously, they would discuss religious matters. Um, so this was a place where a lot of the business of the town took place and a lot of the news was actually proclaimed and spread throughout the rest of the city. So this young man from Benjamin comes and waiting for him is Eli, sitting on his seat. Now, Eli's sitting there, waiting in, in his designated spot, because as an elder of the town, you have a designated spot, it's just for you, um, in the city gate. And as he's sitting there, this Benjaminite comes, and, he's, and Eli is sitting there, waiting to hear word, not necessarily of battle, not necessarily even of his sons, but of the ark of God. Because his heart so trembled. For the ark of God. Your translation, I don't know how many, it was very few, I think, but there, there was a translation that said his heart ached for the covenant of God. Um, and I, I think that's what we're getting here. And what we're seeing here is a is a shift. Is a shift in perspective, a shift in focus for Eli himself. Whereas previously he was more concerned about his sons and not disciplining them and not ruffling their feathers and just wanted them to be happy and healthy and whatever it is they did he didn't he didn't want to know about it or hear about it as long as whatever we see now he his his posture has shifted to be more worried for the Lord and the things of the Lord but as we can see just because repentance has come doesn't mean God's promised consequences will not still come also. Because those consequences still have to be meted out somewhere. So what God has declared is not stopped by the change of perspective that Eli finally has on that day waiting to hear word of the Ark of, the, the Ark of God. And when the man came into the city and told it, all the city cried out. So this man from Benjamin runs into the city, runs into the gate, and proclaims the news he has come to tell. He has proclaimed the news he has come to tell. And the reaction is not something positive. So without even knowing exactly what news he carries, we know it's not great because the word that is translated here cried out, that all the city cried out, 
is not typically a word used for joyous celebration. It's typically used for grief and mourning. The whole city cried out in anguish because of the news that this messenger came and brought to them. And this, this bearer of bad news, can you imagine the weight he had on his shoulders? I mean, he alone is sent from the battlefield to this city, to, to the main city at the time. And he's running. He's running to deliver the news as fast as he can. But the news he's bringing isn't good news. The news he's bringing is news of defeat. The news he's bringing is news of destruction. The news he brings is news of pain. I'm afraid to say that this young Benjamin, ben Benjaminite, was quicker to bring bad news than we often are to bring the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This man ran 20 miles in a day to deliver bad news. When's the last time I went across the street to deliver the good news? Not just good news, but the good news. When's the last time you went next door to deliver the good news? I'm not saying this to, to condemn anybody. I'm pointing the finger at myself here. But this young Benjamin and I ran 20 miles. And when he comes into the city, the first words out of his mouth are the news he has come to deliver. And there are so many programs out there designed to promote this idea of friendship-only evangelism. Where you have to befriend somebody and earn the right before you can tell them the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't see that in Scripture. Now, I'm not saying there is no place for friendship evangelism. Obviously, God gives us friends and family and relationships. And in those relationships, we are to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ whenever the opportunity arises. But we are by no means restricted to friendship-only evangelism. Amen. We can boldly proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ without having to go through the process of earning the right to speak the truth into somebody's life. That's why this church and the network, the fellowship of 116 Bible churches across the world are committed to open air evangelism as a type of outreach. It's not the only way, but it is a way, and it is a biblical way, and it is a God-ordained way. The gospel itself has been spread using open, 
using the means of open-air evangelism since the gospel was the gospel. So just like we have those relationships in which we can speak the gospel into the lives of our family and friends and our co-workers and our classmates, so also do we have the mandate to go out and preach the gospel to every living creature and to do so with the boldness that only accompanies those who are blessed and ordained by God through the power and presence of the Holy Spirit. This is a command. This Benjaminite should not put us to shame in his willingness to carry bad news more eagerly than we are willing to carry the good news of Jesus Christ. That wasn't actually part of the sermon. That one was free. And just as this man came to carry the bad news, Eli sat there waiting to hear any news at all. And we mentioned earlier that though he had repented, the consequences of his actions still had to be meted out. Now keep in mind that this doesn't necessarily mean that Eli himself as an individual was lost and outside of Christ. This just means that God had determined physical consequences for his sin that still had to be fulfilled because of the egregious nature of the sin. Every sin has physical consequences, consequences and spiritual consequences. Every sin we commit, every sin that's committed against us affects us in many different ways. It affects us physically, emotionally, psychologically, and spiritually. And in many cases, can even affect you financially, can even affect you in society. It can affect your reputation, but every sin affects at least these four main areas. And while Eli himself may not have been cut off from the promises of God, his position as a servant of God was over. His position, his job that he had been placed in by the grace of God, by the will of God, was coming to an end. Because of the sins of his son that he had neglected and failed address and correct. As Jeff reminded us last week, your sin does not affect just you. The sin of Eli and his sons affected not just themselves, not just the priesthood, it affected the entire nation of Israel. As we see when we're introduced to these individuals, Hophni and Phinehas, their sin was so great that it made the people abhor the sacrifices of God because of how they treated it, because of how they used the sacrifices of God and took for themselves any cut of meat that they wanted, even those pieces that they wanted to them. So sin does not affect just us, but the consequences of sin, we may very well be forgiven. And we may very well have a seat in the household of Christ at the table of the Lamb. 
but that doesn't mean that God removes all of the other consequences that our sin has wrought. It doesn't mean that just because I broke I broke the law and I truly repented and came to know Christ, it doesn't mean I still don't have to pay the fine or go to jail. <clears throat> On the contrary, if I have truly been changed, my willingness to pay the penalty should be all that much more. Because in light of the spiritual penalty that I've been freed from, the earthly penalty is nothing. But the penalty still must, the consequences still must, in many cases, work themselves out. Sometimes God in His graciousness does remove those physical consequences, those earthly consequences. But we are not guaranteed that. Often God's greatest graces are in allowing us to live through the consequences of the decisions we made. Because in living through those, we grow. We become more like Christ and less like the people who committed those heinous acts. I think that's what we're seeing here with Eli, somebody who had seen the error of his ways. I mean, good grief, two prophets came and told you. You've got, you've got to start seeing eventually. Two prophets came and told him, and finally Eli's eyes were opened and he repented. But those consequences, that family of priests still had to be removed. When Eli heard the noise of the outcry, he said, What does the sound of this tumult mean? Your translation may say commotion. Your translation may say great cry. All good words. But Eli hears this cry of anguish from the townspeople. And wants to know what it means. So the man came quickly and told Eli, now at this point, in the text, if you're reading for the first time, you're asking questions. You're like, Eli was sitting in the city gate. He was right there. The guy came in. He had to walk right past Eli. And yet Eli's over here. I mean, and, and the guy made the announcement. And Eli's over here saying, what happened? So at this point, you know, if you're reading the section for the first time, some questions are forming. What if he was, what if he was watching at the gate? And, and he saw the guy. And then the guy came in and he told the thing. And, but after he makes the announcement, Eli still doesn't know what's going on. So the man comes quickly and tells Eli. Then we find out Eli was 98 years old. And his eyes were so dim, your translation may say fixed or set, that's perfectly fine. The idea here being that um, he was blind. His eyes were so dim, or fixed, or set that he could not see. So now we see, oh, okay. So Eli is sitting in his spot because it's a spot he knows. And Eli didn't see the runner. The runner probably went past him to deliver the news to the city. And because Eli is blind, and could not see the runner. Eli stayed where he was when the runner ran past him to bring the, the news from the battlefield. We're seeing here 
I think, some very rich irony regarding the life and ministry of Eli. We're seeing here that though Eli sits in the gate, in the city gate, and watches for the, the runner for any news, Eli can't actually see when the news is coming because he has been blind. Eli's physical condition now matches the spiritual condition he previously had with his own sons. When Eli himself couldn't see the news, couldn't see the heinous acts his sons were committing against the people of Israel and what and the effects it was having on them and on the ministry before the Lord. Eli now can't see the news he's looking for when it runs right past him. So many of us in this part of the country were brought up in church. So many of us in this part of the country were raised in what has been termed cultural Christianity. This idea that Christianity isn't a relationship between you and God. It's simply just a way of life for the people in the area you live in. And this cultural Christianity is not enlightening. It doesn't help you see. It doesn't grant us the ability to discern. It doesn't even give us a way to God. Instead, it's blinding. Cultural Christianity is blinding. It's not the only thing that's blinding by any means. Those who grew up in other parts of the country, other parts of the world, have been blinded by many other things. Have been blinded by their own false religion. Have been blinded by their own idea or perception of non-religion. Have been blinded by their own desires, selfishness, greed, destructive appetites, ambition, and even been blinded by their own good works. Eli was blind. Eli was blind to the news he was waiting for. How many of our friends and family are currently blind to the news we have to deliver? Are currently blind to that which God has promised and fulfilled? The news of which we carry with us everywhere we go. And this blindness cannot be taken away by sheer force. It cannot be taken away because I want it to. This blindness cannot be lifted by my own power. This blindness instead must be removed by the Spirit of God. As was prayed earlier today, it is the Spirit who removes those scales from our eyes.
It is the Spirit who makes it so that we can see this news that, believe it or not, we're all waiting for. Because there isn't a soul out there who doesn't know at some level that this isn't on their ass. We all understand that. We all know we all know at some level, however deep in our core that might be, that there is something else. There has to be something else. And apart from the grace of God, it is being suppressed in our sin. How dare we aid in that suppression by our refusal to deliver the news? Eli was 98 years old and his eyes were so dim that he could not see. He could not see the very thing he was waiting for. And there are going to be many on the final day when Christ returns who just as in the time of his first coming whose eyes were so dim that they will not see. The religious Jews, even of today, who sit there in the city gate waiting for the coming Messiah, their eyes are so dim that they have not been able to see that he has already come. The next time he comes, there's going to be a blinding light that is going to illuminate everybody's eyes so that they can see. But he will not come this time, this next time, in mercy and in grace and offering salvation. This next time he comes, he's coming to separate the wheat from the chaff. He's coming to separate those who are his from those who are not his. So we sit in the city gate and those who are his we wait. But unlike Eli, we wait looking on the horizon because we know he's coming. And by his grace, our eyes have been opened and we can see as the time draws near. Then the man, the young Benjaminite, said to Eli, I am he who came from the battle, and I fled today. Your translation may say, I was there this very day at the battle line. I fled today from there. And he said, What happened, my son? So the messenger answered and said, Israel has fled before the Philistines, and there has been a great slaughter among the people. Also, your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, are dead, and the Ark of God has been captured. Now, this, this news that the Benjaminite is delivering, this messenger from the battlefield, who, by his attire, clearly does not bring good news, not only does he not bring good news, the news he brings just gets worse and worse and worse. He says, well, Eli... 
The Israelites fled from before the Philistines. What does that mean? Obviously, we didn't win. Not only did, did we not win, instead of advancing, we retreated. And he says, not only did we not win, Eli, but there has been a great many people who fell in battle and are coming home. A lot of young men have died, Eli. Not only have a lot of young men died, Eli, your two sons, Hophni and Phineas, are also dead. They are among those who fell. And not only did they fall, Eli, but because the Ark of the Covenant was in their possession and under their authority, the Ark of God has been captured. <coughs> so we start with a big circle of Israel is defeated. Then we can go to a smaller circle of a lot of Israelites dying. Then we go to an even smaller circle of Eli's two sons also dead. And then right at the heart of the whole problem, the whole mess, the worst news of all, the Ark of God, that very symbol of God's presence among his people is gone. It has been captured by the Philistines. And as we will find out later, it will be it is taken to one of their main cities and it will be placed in their temple because this was this was a cultural practice used often in tribal and national warfare at the time where the symbols of the gods of the defeated nation were placed in the temples of the gods of the victorious nation to show that even our gods are superior to your gods. But I'm getting ahead of myself. So the news isn't just bad. It's not just that we lost. It's not just that we were completely routed before the Philistines. And it's not even just that a lot of people died. It's that Eli... Your sons are dead. And I'm guessing that only Eli at, at, Eli at this point is very aware of the significance of what's happening. Both of my sons have died. Both of my sons have died today. On the same day, the word of the Lord that has been foretold is now upon me. Friends, there's coming a time when the word of the Lord that has been foretold is coming upon the world. There's coming a time when that which God has declared will happen in the end will happen. And friends, there will be no escape. There will be no running from God. There will be no hiding from His wrath. There will be no defense against his judgment. There is but one glimmer of hope. And it's that good news. It's that good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So at this time, 
Eli is receiving the terrible news that the word of the Lord has come upon him. And how do we know he knows? Because in verse 18, it happened when he made mention of the ark of God that Eli fell off his seat backwards by the side of the gate. It sounds funny. Until we keep going and read that his neck was broken and he died. Now there are many interpretations as to what may have caused his death. Did he have a heart attack and that's why he fell off the back of his seat? Maybe. Um, was he just startled and that's what caused him to fall off the back and break his neck? And it was his broken neck that killed him? Maybe. The idea here, regardless of what the medical reasons are for exactly what killed him, the idea here is that what God had promised, what God had warned Eli was going to happen, happened. And on that day, the house of Eli was cut off from the service of the Lord. And it didn't just happen that Eli and his descendants were killed, but the actual ark of God was removed from the presence of the family so that there could be no no distant relative coming up and saying, saying, well, it's up to me to fall in line next. Eli and his sons, they're, they're dead, but he, we were cousins, so it's, it's up to me now. No. God removed the ark so that family could be fully and finally cut off from service before the Lord. The man was old and heavy. And at his death, he had judged Israel for 40 years. Keep in mind, not all of that service had been great service. Not all of that service had been profitable service for the Lord. Not all of that service had been faithful. Even in the sins of Eli, even for the sins of Eli and his imperfect, unfaithful service, there came one. Many, many years later, who succeeded where they failed. And even in our own service today, as children and servants of the living God, when on our best day we get together maybe five whole seconds of true faithful service, there came one who succeeded where we have failed. And that is why it is not up to him who wills or to him who runs but it is up to God who has mercy. So my friend, if you are in Christ today, even in our most abysmal failure, through ignorance, through lack of wisdom, or even through outright rebellion, 
there stands one in your place who succeeded where you failed. There stands one in your place who stands tall when your failures have driven you into the dust. There is one who experienced the glory of God departing from him on the cross so that we didn't have to experience it ourselves like the Israelites did. So that the glory of God could dwell eternally with God's people. And it is that news that we carry with us. And if we won't so much as walk 20 feet to carry that news with more eagerness and more willingness than this Benjaminite who ran 20 miles to deliver bad news. Then we have to examine ourselves. Then we have to we have to look at our lives by the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. And we need to do what this Benjaminite did. We need to do what Eli did. And we need to repent. Even if it takes the rending of clothes and the sprinkling of dust and ashes, we need to repent. That is my encouragement to you today. As you leave this place, remember Be reminded by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God the nature of the news that you carry and exactly what God has done in your life with it, through it, by it. And then the good news will flow from your lips eagerly and willingly and happily. Something the Benjaminite because of the nature of his news Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we have just read your word and seen and seen what happens when your glory departs from the midst of your people. Lord, and we thank you that by your Spirit you dwell with your people eternally. that you came down not simply with an ark as your footstool but you came down in the person of Jesus Christ and you dwelled among men you pitched your tent in the presence of men and dwelled with us temporarily in that respect 
And then when your son departed, you both sent your spirit to dwell with us eternally, to unite us under the banner of Christ, to lead us into holiness and love. Thank you. We do not deserve this. We are not worthy of this. But you have blessed us all the same. So we ask that your spirit would take with us today what we have read, what we have studied, what we have learned for possibly the first time or been reminded of for the thousandth time. May your spirit take this with us as we leave this place. And may the good news flow easily and freely and boldly and happily from our lips in relationships and to total strangers because you have commanded it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.